Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. This is lesson number six entitled Genuine Faith. And for those of you that haven't been here, a quick review. Uh, number one, we last week discussed the fact that Lucifer tried to use his faith to overthrow God. Now, why is that important to know? Because it tells us something about the power of faith. The only way he could possibly overthrow God would be if he understood how to use his faith to do so. And that's why in the book of Isaiah, it makes it very clear to us that he said from his heart, notice, he said from his heart, faith speaks from the heart, that I will, I will. Five times he said, I will overthrow God. I will be like the most high God. He tried to use faith to overcome God. That's how powerful and important faith is to each and every one of us. Secondly, he had no basis for his faith. We talked about when God established all the kingdoms of the world and all mankind made angels and etc. He gave boundaries for each one to live in. And he didn't live within those boundaries. He stepped beyond those boundaries to try to use his faith to overthrow God. He had no basis for his faith, no spoken word, no written word. This was acting on his own. So it's important we understand that because thirdly, what he did was, since he couldn't achieve his goals, he went to Adam and Eve and usurped their authority. He got them to step beyond the boundaries of God's establishment for their lives. And when they did that, he, they gave him all the authority that they had. He became the God of this world, we are told. He became the prince of the power of the air. Jesus called him the prince of this world. Now, so important, this next point. People oftentimes will say, God's got everything under control. And it sounds really religious. But in actuality, it's a lie of the devil who uses deception to do what? To stop a person from using their faith. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the NIV version of this, this verse. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world, the whole world, the whole world is under the control, not of God, of the evil one, of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. People that are out there that are lost in the world, they're under the control of the evil one. He's having his way with their lives. Even believers that allow it will be under the control of the evil one if they step beyond, once again, the word of God and just start living their life the way they want to live. You open up the door to the enemy. And so it's important that we recognize and understand that fact. As a matter of fact, this was unusual. After I preached this last Sunday morning, on Monday morning, I'm driving into Youngstown to go up there and, and visit my father and visit my, see my, par my parents and all that. I just happened to turn on um, Charles Stanley. He happened to say the very words I spoke. He said, by the way, all the Christians that believe that God's got everything under control, and I was taken back when I heard that. And he said, that's not true. He says, Christians have to be active and aggressive. Otherwise, they sit back thinking God's doing it all. They're doing nothing. And it's the devil who has his way with them. Think about that statement. Okay. So next time you find yourself saying, well, God's got everything under control. Now, wait a minute. You better make sure that the enemy is not in control. And you take authority over it and bind it. And you're going to see the next verse. You'll see this. Uh, he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. We know we've been told that by Jesus. He's come to steal a person's life and purpose. He's come to kill their hopes and dreams. He's come to destroy their becoming what God wants them to be in this life. This is his objective. 
He wants to absolutely destroy mankind who's made in the, like this an image of God. He doesn't want any good for any of us. So the next point, notice the next point, is it's up to us to be alert and resist with what? Faith. Okay, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking, sneaking around to find someone to attack. But you must resist the devil and stay strong in your what? In your faith. How important is this that we are aware every single day that someone out there wants to hurt us, wants to harm us, wants to destroy anything and everything we hold dear to our hearts, whether it's our lives individually, our health, our, our mental health and well-being, our, our finances, our marital relationships, our families, our children, uh, that somehow will go wayward at some points. He's strategizing every single day. People sit back and just say God's got to be under control when he's out there strategizing how to destroy human lives. So he said, stay alert, stay aware. You've got to be strong in your faith. Why? Because you've got to resist the enemy. So where do we get this faith to resist? Next point, we talked about how we get faith from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Look at 2 Timothy. This wasn't last week, but I want to add this today. Chapter 2, verses 23 to 26 if we don't resist certain things, then the enemy will have his way. Notice this. Flee also for useful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender what? Strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth in verse 26 and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of whom the devil who are taken captive by him at his will notice they're taken captive by him at his will we know one translation says this and he uses them to enforce his will he uses them to uh Run his errands for him. I think the message Bible says it that way. To, to run his errands. I don't want to be the devil's errand boy. Do you want to be his errand boy? Well, what's he saying there? When people get into strife over things, and I'm honest with you, all this social media and stuff where people are bickering back and forth and then strife about this and strife about that, whether it's politics or whether it's religion, you're playing right into the hands of the enemy. Think about that. You know what we're supposed to be doing about that? Get on your knees. Get before the throne of God. I believe God for this nation. I believe God for our government. I believe God for our president and all that are in his cabinet and staff and everything that's there. We believe that's our responsibility and that's our duty. Not to get in a strife because we become an errand boy for the devil when we do. Let's stand firm and believe that God is, is restoring this nation once again. Amen? We need to believe to see the glory of God. And then the next one, we have got the keys. And that strife, by the way, is not just talking about that. It's strife about anything. When people get themselves involved in strife, they become the enemy's errand boy, doing his bidding for him. Anywhere they go, everywhere he goes, he tries to get people to just stir up strife and, and become argumentative and that sort of thing. You know what? Walk in love. Speak the truth in love and let God move in, the, in, in all of our lives. Praise God. Look at this next point. We've got the keys. This is not passive this is aggressive, active faith. Notice this. We have the keys to the kingdom. In Matthew 16, verse 19, once again, we're going to reiterate from last week these points. Listen carefully as we give you these translations. The first translation, look at what it says from the New Living Translation. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
Where's that place the responsibility? On us. We've got to permit it or, or prohibit it. It's up to us. Look at the next translation. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and God in heaven will allow whatever you allow on earth, but he will not allow anything you don't allow. Wow. We got to put a stop to the work of the enemy. It's up to us because we have the keys to the kingdom. I will give you these keys. Look at the, this here. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And then God's word translation is the last one. Look at this one. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you imprison, God will imprison. Whatever you set free, God will set free. And last week we talked about how the angel in Revelation chapter 20 has the key to the bottomless pit. And when he binds up the devil for a thousand years in the bottomless pit, he is there for a thousand years and he can't get out because he doesn't have the key. What does that mean? You've got the key, I've got the key to bind his activities from our lives. But what will he use to get in to, let's say, enforce his will, strife, anger, and you lead to sin. Be angry and sin not, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place, territory, opportunity to the devil to get an open door to the enemy. He wants people to get involved in strife. He wants people to get angry and sin. Why? So that the door is open for him to come in and just have his way and wreak havoc. That's why there's problems in relationships, because people are not aware of his tactics and what he's doing. Now, as we continue our study, let's uh, move on here to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, because we have a perfect example of, we talked about logos, faith, and we talked about rhema, faith. And don't get confused about those two Greek words. As simple as I can put it is like this, and you young people should know this. We all should know it by now. Logos is nothing more than the written word of God. So put it this way, sending someone a text. It's written, they could read it. The rhema is you call them on the phone and talk to them. They heard your voice. So one is written, one is spoken. The logos means I can go to the written word of God, find out what God said in his written word, and I can develop faith on that. Or he can speak to me by his spirit or by a holy angel, and I can get faith from that. One is written, one is spoken. Isn't that simple to understand? But let me show you an example, once again, of logos. Faith that is based on logos. Logos based faith in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus just got done being baptized in water. In verse 17 of chapter 3, you know what he said? He heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is what God said from heaven. And who heard it? Jesus heard it. But then he's taken up to the, to the mountain. He's going to be tempted by the devil. And look at this. Then was Jesus led up by the spirit to the, in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God. What is he doing? He's challenging his identity, isn't he? If you be the son of God, what's he using? The flesh. If you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil takes him up to a holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Again, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if you fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And Luke's gospel, a rendition of this in that last verse, actually says, And he, he left him looking for a more opportune time 
to come back. So if you think or I think that we're ever going to be away or, or rid of the devil, that only happened when we leave this realm of life. He's always looking for an opportune time to enter into people's lives and bring his destructive forces. That's what he wants to do. Now, notice that Jesus said twice, it is written. What's the logos? The written word of God. The revelation of God is revealed to us in Scripture. We have a revelation of what God said in Scripture, and we know that this becomes the will of God for every human being's life. Found right here, which is why we need to know the Bible. We need to know what it says. So two times he challenges him, his identity. If you be the Son of God. Well, wait a minute. He just heard a voice saying he's the Son of God. But now he's targeting his mental faculties and using food to do it with the flesh. Remember John talked about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are three areas that the enemy will attack us in. Those three things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you can just see that unfold here. The lust of the flesh, same with Adam and Eve. Look at that fruit looks good to eat. Lust of the eyes, hmm. Yes, she saw it and said, hmm, it looks like that which can make one wise. The pride of life, God knows he's holding back on you. You're going to have a whole lot more. What does he do to Jesus? Two times he attacks his identity. If you're the son of God, then, then turn these stones into bread so you can eat. You're hungry. The lust of the flesh. The eyes, the understanding also. When he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle or of the, of the temple there and throw yourself down. And you know what? The angels will protect you. And he said, that's presumption. It is written again. Two times he said, it is written. It is written. And the third time, the devil lets the cat out of the bag. Because you know what he says the third time? He shows them all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you'll fall down and worship me. That's what he wanted from the very beginning. He wanted, first of all, to be worshipped like God in the beginning. Then he usurped man's authority because he wants to be worshipped like God. And he became the God of this world, according to Jesus himself. Now he wants all people to worship him and bow down to him, including Jesus. So the cat's out of the bag, fall down and worship me. And what does Jesus respond with? He says what's written, doesn't he? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve, is what he says. So he's trying to get Jesus to do what he did, to do what Adam and Eve did. But Jesus, thanks be to God, did not fall victim to the strategies of the devil. But what was his face based on? The logos, the written word of God. That's why it pays for all of us to really know what's written in this book. Praise God. We need to know what's written in the book. And you know, by honoring the word of God, he honored God himself. Look at um, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 2 and verse 30. By honoring God, or, or the word of God, he honored God himself. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. How did Jesus honor the father? By saying, it is written. When he honored the word, he honored the father. And to really honor means to hold in high regard or high esteem and show deep respect for. So you see, 
our attitude toward the word of God will determine the place that God holds in our lives. And if we really embrace this, listen, some people are saying, I want God to speak to me in an audible voice. I want, I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear the voice of God. That's wonderful. But he said a lot of things right here in this book. First, and if we'll start finding out what he said here, if he wants to say something more, he will. He'll speak to our hearts. He'll speak to our minds, maybe in an audible voice, but he'll give us direction that way. But now we see what it means to highly regard but, or to respect him by honoring him. But what about despise him? He said, but if you despise me, I will lightly esteem. So imagine this. If you are highly respected by God because you honor his word, what does it mean to despise him? This is important. Look at 2 Samuel. To despise him means this. We'll let the scriptures define what it means to despise him. Wherefore has, this is God speaking by the spirit Nathan to David after he had sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Notice, because you have despised me. And you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Notice at least three things that he points out here. Number one, you committed adultery. Number two, you committed murder. And number three, and you can read it on. It's, I didn't read it far enough, but if you read the rest of that, you know what he did? He gave God's enemies an opportunity to blaspheme or to speak against him. So, despising him means that when we ignore the commandment of the Lord, which is the word of God, and what he said for us to do and how he wants us to live, then you know what? He's basically saying, you despise me. Now, David, I told you you shouldn't commit adultery. David, I told you you shouldn't commit murder. And now that you've done this and you've covered the whole thing up, you know what, David? You've given my enemies an opportunity to speak against me. And so God took it personally saying, you despised me. Are we aware of the fact that the way we live our lives is so important? Because we don't want people to look at us and just say, what kind of God do you serve when you can do this, do that, do the other thing, and, and talk like that, live like that, act like that, and do all that? I believe that God wants us to be sanctified and set apart and live a holy life, don't you? And that's to, the reason why he saved us and delivered us and set us free. So that we could walk uprightly before him and honor him. That's part of our salvation. To be sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. And when people make decisions, all of us make decisions that contradict the word of God. That's like despising him. Oh, we should walk so tender before the Lord and just say, I don't want to despise you in any way. I don't want in any way to disrespect you. Because why? I want you to hold me in high esteem. Imagine that. He will hold you in high esteem. He will lift you up and hold you up in high esteem when you honor his word. Hmm. Now look at Psalm 138. A scripture we should all take to heart. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise to thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Look at how he holds his word in the highest esteem. 
And when you, you and I highly esteem the word of God, we highly esteem him. And he then honors us or highly esteems us. This is a person of the word. Not feeling, not emotion, but setting aside those things, why to honor the word of God. And you know what, beloved? You might agree with me on this. I don't know, it's up to you. But he's wiser and smarter than we are. He knows more than we know. And my feelings and emotions should not be, as far as I'm concerned, exalted above what God said. We may not feel like we're masterpieces, but you are. Because he said you are. Because he said you, he made you a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, you can read it for yourself. You're his workmanship, you're his masterpiece. Do you feel like a masterpiece right now? You may not feel like it, but it doesn't matter. You are one. He made you one. You're recreated in his own image and likeness. And the Bible says that when you and I leave this realm of life, we know that when we appears as he is, so are we in this world. Hard to imagine what we're going to appear like to be like when we're arrayed in that glory. All right, rainbow-based faith. Let's move from that to rainbow-based. This was, it is written, logos-based faith. But also, I selected this in particular for a reason. Our faith can be based on a rhema, which is a word that God gives us. And sometimes people think that if God gave you a word, that it's automatic. It's going to take place automatically. And that's not always the truth. But, and we're going to see that right here. Look at Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Peter walking out on the water. Now remember the story. He was preaching and all that. Then he went up on a mountain. He told him to go to the other side. This is like an eight-mile journey across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it says, when they were in the midst of the sea, a storm arose. And many believe that it was uh, demonically agitated by the enemy, okay? So imagine this. Jesus is up on a mountain. He's praying. This is the fourth watch of the night, the Bible says. The fourth watch. The first watch starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. The second watch, 12 o'clock, midnight. The third, third watch, from 12 to 3. You know, 6 to 9. 9 to 12. Then, then 12 to 3. So the fourth watch starts at 3 o'clock in the morning. At 3 o'clock in the morning is the fourth watch of the night. And Jesus is still up there uh, praying. And so they're at like four miles out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The storm comes. It's agitated by the enemy. You ever agitate anything in your life? <laughs> I think we've all been there before, haven't we? Haven't we? Mm -hmm. So um, Jesus is like up on the mountain. He goes, I think they're in trouble. Okay, they're four miles out there. Let me see if I find myself a boat, if I can get myself a jet ski or something like that. You know, maybe I can get out there fast enough, but they're already four miles out there. And I know I'll just walk. I'll just walk. <laughs> Imagine this. He just starts walking. Walks on the water. He meets them out there on the water. Actually, listen to this. And he would have passed by, but someone cried out saying, it's a ghost. And what does he say? Be not afraid. It is I. Right? And, of course, what does uh, this, ex <laughs> this Peter, who's always on top of things, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Come. Come is his rhema. Now, I know sometimes people will say that others could have got on the boat and they could have walked on the water as well, but I'm not so sure about that right now. That was his rhema. Because he said, if it's you, bid me to come. The others might have got out and went straight down. I don't know. Maybe they could have got off on, uh, on what he's just saying, come in a general way. You know, maybe it, you could say it was spoken and then they just got the 
after effects of that. But it was for Peter to come. And when Peter did, he got out of the water and he began to walk on the water. So let's read it. Matthew 14, 28. And Peter answered him saying, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And, Peter, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. What was his faith based on? A rhema. A spoken word from the Lord himself to come. Okay, so he went. He began to walk on the water. He set in motion a miracle. But when he saw the wind boisterous, you could say this, when he became analytical, when he analyzed the whole situation, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, what a great man of faith you are, Peter. I'm inspired by your enthusiasm to follow me out there in the water. Now remember, we're talking about some huge swells. We're talking about a storm that has arisen, demonically inspired to destroy these people's lives that are serving God. He says, O thou of what kind of faith? Little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And the reason why I'm pointing out this particular uh, example is because he acted on a rhema, the spoken word of God. And people think that if God really said it, then you're going to step out and do it. But it means it has to be instant or it has to be automatic or it has to come to pass. Well, guess what? The moment he got out of the boat and began to walk on the water, his faith antenna went up. And when his faith antennas went up, the devil saw the faith antenna go up. And immediately he attacks him and distracts him to get his eyes off the word come and get his eyes on all this other stuff that's going on around him. I've got news for Peter. It doesn't matter if it's a 20-foot well, swell or a 30-foot swell. You can't walk on water. <laughs> Nothing in the natural enabled you to walk on that water. There's only one thing that enabled you to walk on that water. And that was acting on the word come and staying focused on the word come. But the moment you got distracted to the left or to the right, the moment you began to say, oh, the wind's blowing stronger. What's that got to do with it, Peter? You're walking on water. But it goes to show us this. When he said, oh, thou little faith, he was progressing in faith. Because he began in a storm earlier than that, and they, Jesus said, how come you have no faith? Well, he went from no faith to little faith, and eventually got to the place of great faith, where he could raise the dead, right? So you see the progression of no faith, little faith, great faith, raising the dead faith by Peter. So it's important that we understand we got to grow in our faith as well. And situations that arise like this storm or anything else, we need to go to the Word of God and get a Logos, the written Word of God, and just say, but God said this. Or, Lord, is there something more you want to say to me? And God says something else. But even though He says it, and we have a rhema that's spoken to us, it doesn't mean we still don't have to stand against the work of the enemy who's going to come against us and try to undermine our faith and uproot our faith so that it doesn't produce the end result. Our faith is designed to produce the end result. And do you know that Peter was, uh, remember when, well, let's look at, look at this. Look at Luke's gospel, I believe it is. We've got Luke's gospel here. Look at here, chapter 22. Peter had this experience with Jesus, but now notice this other experience. This is, you recall the story when uh, Peter was once again mouthing off like, you know, he's so, I guess, important. He's going to do so much. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. 
And he said, to, he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that you shall thrice deny that you even know me. Now, wait a minute. Peter was bold to say, I'll go to you with death. I'll go to death for you. Do you know that Jesus knew Peter's faith better than Peter knew his own faith? He said, Peter, by the time the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But he said this, Satan has come. He desires to have you, to sift you like wheat, to put you through a sieve. In other words, he will use temptations and trials to test your faith, to determine of what sort it is, whether it's genuine faith, whether it's presumption, whether it's um, imitating somebody else's faith. He has desired to have you to sift you like wheat. And don't you think he's doing the same thing with all of us? When you step out of the boat, you begin to walk on the water by faith. He is coming to determine really what we're made of. Is it genuine faith on the inside of me that I really believe God? I know that God is at work in a situation. Or are we so quickly removed from what the word said because of our feelings and emotions and we abort the faith project? This is what he's doing. So he says, what I'm telling you to do, I want you to strengthen the brethren. He knew the importance of faith. Jesus could have prayed for anything for Peter. But he said, look, Satan's coming to do what? To sift you like wheat. I have prayed for you, Peter. And what does he pray? That your faith fail not. You know, faith can fail. It failed Peter. And it got him so far in the water. But thank God Jesus bailed him out. Thank God that he took him all the way in, right? Sure. Faith can fail. And so we have to recognize the fact the moment we get out of the boat, start walking on water and believing God for whatever, whatever it is. It could be the restoration of your own health. It could be bringing back a, a child that's wayward. And whatever it is that you've ex exercised your faith on, believing God for a mate, believing God for a job, believing God uh, to save your marriage, believing God, whatever it, it, it is. The moment you get a hold of this word of God, the devil is afraid of your faith. He's not concerned about you, but your faith. Your faith is powerful. We overcome this world by our faith. Now, didn't that 1 John 5 and verse 19 say that the whole world's under the control of the evil one? Didn't it say that? What does 1 John 4, uh, 5, 4 say, though? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in God. It's our faith that overcomes the world. So that's why he attacks our faith. To see to it that we get out of faith. And get into fear. And unbelief. And so he'll attack our faith. It's important that we know that. And I use this particular example to, to let us know. That as we start walking by faith. We're going to be attacked. The enemy's going to come. We've got to stay focused. And see it through to the end. till we get an end result. And so that's for all of us to consider and to understand. So to sift means to basically put us through a test or a trial to find out what we're made of but praise God we're to be aware that's why he said be alert be aware be on guard know exactly uh, the tactics of your enemy so that you can rise up above it and overcome so look at the next one personal testimonies I want to share with you I want you to turn to Psalm 1 well Psalm 128 we'll throw it up there because you see it's important that we realize every single one of us is living in the same world under the same control of darkness that's in the world today. And we will all be challenged in this life. And the way we think and the way we believe and the way we speak will determine the outcomes that we experience in life. 
there was a time when I couldn't have any more children. And Demetrius was the reason. And as a newly saved Christian, you know, like anybody else, God's in control. If he wants me to have more, we'll have more. If he doesn't want me to have more, then he's God. You know how many people live their lives that way? And that's exactly what the devil wants to hear. Because that means I'm passive, I'm inactive, the devil's in control, he's seeing to it that he orchestrates everything around it. I actually believe that because I was just saved and I didn't have a knowledge of the word of God. And so while I'm in my mill crane one day and this brother comes over to me, Brother Jose, you've heard me talk about Brother Jose Feliciano comes over to me and we're, we're in a crane, mill crane working together and he, I have my Bible, he has his Bible, he comes in, he knows I read my Bible while he, he, he's talking, you know, and he comes in and he says, uh, I just met him not too long ago. Well, how many children do you have? One. You don't have any more? Can't. Endometriosis operation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Well, he, I said, I don't think it's the will of God that we have any more children because of, and I named all those different things. This is why. How many know that God is not limited to the natural world that we live in? All he said to me before he got tooted to get in his crane and get down and do a lift. He said, brother, read Psalm 128. He was a Bible student. He was in Bible school at that particular time in his life. And here I am saying, and I'm, I'm kind of saying, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. Right? God doesn't want us to have any more children. This is not his will. And even though I had papers in for adoption, but it wasn't, it's mindless that I was doing that. But anyhow, because I'm saying, with one side of the mouth, I'm saying he doesn't want me to have any more children. On the other side, I'm, I'm looking to adopt someone. Had the papers already for adoption. He said, read Psalm 128 and leaves. You know, sometimes just let the word of God sink in our ears. Look at what it says. I'm like a peacock at the beginning of this. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. That's me. Glory to God. That's me. Hallelujah. That walks in his ways. Oh, that's me. I'm walking in the ways of the Lord. I've been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You eat the labor of your hands. And happy will you be. I've never been happier in my life, Lord. It'll be well with you. It's so well with me. I'm just on fire. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm excited. I'm just newly saved. I'm young in the Lord. But I know I'm rejoicing. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I thought, well, what a wonderful psalm he gave me to read. Your wife shall be as a vine, fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children like all the plants round about your table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yea, you'll see your children's children and peace upon Israel. I read those Logos words, fell to my knees. No one told me to do this. I never had this kind of instruction from any teacher. I never heard this taught at Rainbow when I was there. I hit my knees in the dirt, the graphite dirt of that mill crane. And I said from my heart with my mouth, Father, I lied about you. I misrepresented you. I said it's not your will for me to have any more children because of the natural evidences, the surgical procedure, the this, the that, and the other thing, the endometriosis and all that, which is the reason for the surgery. I misrepresented. I didn't do it intentionally. I really believed it. But I just read your word, the logos. It said I would be blessed by having children right about my table like olive plants. I'm so wrong. Forgive me. I repent. I got off work that night. 
It was actually early morning. I worked the night shift. Took the Bible home. Showed it to her. Do you believe that? Well, it's if, in the, if it's in the Bible, I do. I said, there it is. Do you believe that? Yeah. I laid hands on her and said, in the name of Jesus now, that's cursed. You are a joyful mother of children, and we will have children. In two weeks, she was pregnant. I went off to school. He was born, born in Oklahoma in Rama. Came back here by an audible voice, took over. The, that was a Rama to come here to, to be the pastor of the church. Then my next one was born. Jason was born. And I started getting scared and sweating, thinking, how do you stop this thing? Because this, this, is, this is not something that I didn't anticipate this end of it. How do you go from you can't, it's impossible, to it happening? It was the logos, base faith. I saw that. And you know what? Sometimes I say, that place of innocence is so precious to be at. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes we're so long in the Lord, we forget that place. We forget it. But then also, there's another in Mark 11:24, and I'll close with this one. That was for healing. This next one is based on Mark 11:24. Let's throw it up there. Therefore, I say unto you what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe, receive them, and you shall have them. When I was at Ramah, it was a very difficult, challenging time in my life. But I must have said a million times before I ever went there, knowing that it would be a challenging time that my God supplies all my need. First of all, I know he sent me. I knew he sent me. That was no question about that. I had to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, the land of tornadoes and snakes. Hot weather, you could cook an egg on the sidewalk. The summer that we were there, they had over 30 days of 100 degrees and more. It was hot in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And... So there I am, but I must have said a million times, my God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Knowing that, you know, I sold everything I had, cashed in my insurance policies, everything, sold my house, everything that I had was invested in my leaving, going and uprooting and going to Oklahoma and being there as long as God wanted me to be there to do what he wanted me to do. And I knew that it was God. Absolutely knew that. But I didn't know anything about believing God for finances at all. Never had to. Had a good job, worked in the mill, had good benefits and all that. Never had to. So one day, this is a Sunday, and I've got to pay $200 rent by Thursday. I've got $2 in my checkbook. Everything, that's it. Everything is gone. $2 to my name is left. I got a part-time job working at a, they call them a quick trip down there. It'd be like a stop and go and whatever. And I don't get paid long after that. And was making minimum wage and really not making enough to pay the bills but I said Lord you sent me here I'm playing with my daughter and in the, in the uh, this one area that they had just in an apartment complex just like a little courtyard and we're just throwing the ball back and forth and I'm saying Lord this is what I said I said Lord when I was at home in, in Youngstown I worked in the, in the mill and I said I always had a paycheck and always pay my bills and I prided myself on always paying my bills on time but I left, here to come, I left there to come here to serve you because this is where you called me. This is what you want me to do. And I said, Lord, I need $200 by Thursday to pay this rent. I've got $2. You know, sometimes you wonder when did the, voice, the voice of the Lord comes. And the authoritative voice of the Spirit in my spirit rose up and said to me, you have to believe you received that $200 before you can have it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. 
Then he went on to say, just like you do for healing. Oh, while we're playing ball, this is what's happening inside me. I see it. I have to ask you for the $200, believe I receive it, and thank you for it. Yeah. And I said, okay. We got done. I said, Lord, I need to pay my rent. Thursday, this is Sunday, Thursday. I need $200 to pay the rent. I'm asking you for $200 to pay the rent. I believe I received the $200 right now. As Mark eleven twenty four just said, I believe I received $200. I'm going to thank you for the $200. Rest of the day go, was wonderful. Went to sleep, got up in the morning. I went to school. I went to school at Ramah. Came back home. Around noontime is when we let out. Came back home. As I'm going back home, I've got to go to work pretty soon. Uh, but I'm, I walked by the mailbox. And as I walked by the mailbox, all of a sudden I heard another voice. You know, a voice of a stranger you will not follow. But it's a very subtle voice. Okay? And the voice said this. Do you really think you're going to get those $200? Do you, you better look in the mail and see whether or not something has come. Because, you know, you're probably not going to get it. And, you know, for a moment, you stop. I walked by, then I stopped. And I went. And then it hit me. Uh, 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 uh. Why should I look for something I already have, devil? I know your voice. I know who you are. Don't tell me to look for anything because as far as I'm concerned, look. If you can't see, you're blind. I'm not. And I held up my hand just like this. People in that complex probably thought I was out of my mind. I stood there and I said, see, I've got $200 because I asked yesterday for it. I believed I receive it. Therefore, I have it. So thank God I'm not looking in the mailbox until I want to look in the mailbox. This happened Monday Tuesday and Wednesday. My point just like Peter to distract us to get our eyes off of the end result. Get our eyes on the situation. Get us in fear. Get us in doubt. Why? So we can begin to sink. Thursday comes. Same scenario. But I'm just rejoicing. You see my, my joy factor is getting greater and greater. Thank you, Lord, I've received it. Thank you, Lord, I have it. I thank you that I have it. I thank you that it's already done. I have it. I receive it. I thank you. I bless you for it. I received it on Sunday. I thank you that I have it right now. I rejoice in you, the God of my salvation. You're my financier. I thank you that I have it. I finally went to the mailbox when it was time when I wanted to go to the mailbox, opened up the mailbox and pulled out some of the letters. And a letter was from Mark, postmark from Youngstown, Ohio. Opened up the letter, began to read the letter. And the letter says at the very beginning, we don't know why we are sending you this check for $200. And I'm thinking, I do. <laughs> Listen to this. But last Sunday, the Lord spoke to us to send you this check for $200. We don't even know if you need it. If you don't need it, then do whatever you want with it. But we know the Lord spoke to us to send it to you. One that I pray on Sunday. One that I believe I received on Sunday. One that they send it. Wrote it out Sunday, probably sent it out Monday. It got to me by Thursday. Now imagine the joy. I mean, you know, you're ecstatic with joy. Here's this check. For, I asked God for it. Never had to believe God for finances before. I'm rejoicing. I'm shouting and all that. And then, you know, I got to walk over to the office because it's Thursday and my rent is due. And she's there and she's writing, she's doing all this stuff and, and, and all that. And I walk over and I hand her my check for $200. She takes it out of my hand. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm almost insulted. 
I want to say, you know that came in on the wings of angels? Do you know where that $200 came from? Oh, I want to shout it from the mountaintops. It was a joy just to be, give, be able to give to you that $200. Why? Because I know my faith was at work. It was working. You see, now the enemy, once again, will come to distract us. And it's important that we recognize it and we don't fall victim to it. But we hold fast our confession of faith without wavering unto the end because our faith has an end result. And Peter talked about it. And Peter did his job. Peter did his job. Did we put up that first, first Peter? Look at first Peter. Look at these verses. Jesus told Peter to do what? Strengthen the brethren. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved for you in, in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through what? Faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perished, that though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and the glory, glory at the glory, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your what? end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know your faith is daily at work right now. Just as every day I was rejoicing that I, was, I received the 200 bucks. You know what we're supposed to be doing? I rejoice that I'm saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb. The end of my faith, praise God, is bringing the result. The result is one day I will hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, your Lord. We may not see him right now, but we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You may not see the hand of God at work in your situation right now, but you know what? Hold fast your confession of faith without wavering unto the end. Start declaring it. I see my son, I see my daughter coming back to God from living a wayward life in the land of the enemy to the own borders, his own borders where he can serve you faithfully. Praise God. I see him coming to that place. I see my marriage restored in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see my children serving the Lord faithfully. I see, thank you for the new job. I believe I receive a job. I have a job. I thank you for the job. Don't worry about how he's going to get it to you. Just believe in faith and stay in faith and he will bring it to you. Can you see that? I know it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard to understand the language of faith because it cr runs cross-grained with human thinking. It does. And even when it comes to healing. But God wants us to hold fast and don't let go and let God do his part. Let's all stand together before the Lord.